Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. Greg Mackling is not in the room. They've left me alone to do this show by myself, which makes me wonder... What the hell kind of a two-bit operation are they running out of this treehouse? Seriously, Greg is playing tour guide today to Scott and Gregory Mordland, who are in town from San Diego for tonight's Bomber game. Winnipeg Blue Bombers hosting the Montreal Alouettes pregame show on 680 CJOB at 5.30. Kickoff at 7.30 from Investors Group Field. Scott and Gregory are here from San Diego because their beloved Chargers fled the city for Los Angeles in the NFL. So the Mortlands have adopted the Bombers as their new team due to the similar colors and the lightning bolt that has often appeared on Bomber uniforms. And as one of our listeners pointed out, Coach Mike Riley was at the helm for both clubs throughout the years. So we will be hearing from Greg throughout the show for the next few hours. I believe they started at the Forks. And you know what? I can't even remember all the things he did end up doing or deciding that he was going to do we got a number of great suggestions from you yesterday as to where greg should take them he's got a three-hour window which i believe began at 12 30 so he's also been uh, doing some stuff on our 680 cjob facebook page lots of facebook live things going on with greg and the gang so Log on to our Facebook page to have a look. Coming up this afternoon on Mackling and McGarry, we are going to speak with South Winnipeg St. Norbert Councillor Janice Lukes at 1.30 on the subject of a design flaw in Bridgewater that is essentially drowning the forest. So we'll talk about that at 1.30. At 2 o'clock, Professor Popsicle will join us. Gordon Giesbrecht faculty of kinesiology professor at the university of manitoba he has hit a unique and rare milestone this month he published his 100th paper in a peer-reviewed journal so we'll talk to him about the milestone and about the paper itself which is about life-saving technology for situations where maybe you end up submerged in water while in your car. I know it sounds far-fetched, but there are there is a surprising number of drowning deaths that happen this way, and Gordon Giesbrecht is at the fore in research and trying to find ways to make sure that this doesn't continue to be a problem. And then at 2.30, Carolyn Claussen is going to join us, therapist with Conexus Counseling. And to, she's going to talk to us today about word inspiration. She has a great blog at connexuscounseling.ca. She wrote a post on word inspiration, so we will talk to her and find out what is word inspiration. In the meantime, you know this, uh, this Michael Phelps shark business? If not, if you don't know about it, on Sunday, this past Sunday on Discovery, The decorated swimmer extraordinaire Michael Phelps raced a great white shark. But he didn't race an actual shark. It was a simulated CG shark based on everything scientists knew about sharks. They sort of programmed it and Phelps lost by a couple of seconds. Well, one of our colleagues here at Chorus Radio Winnipeg is getting ready to do something similar whether she wants to or not. Her name is Randy Parker. She's part of Power Mornings with Philly, Joe, and Randy on Winnipeg's Rock Power 97. Earlier today, we ran over, Greg and I, we ran over and snagged her when her show was finished at 10 o'clock to record a chat with her to find out about Randy versus 
the walleye. So I confess that I, I watched a good chunk of Phelps versus Shark. Did the shark some... take a chunk out of Phelps? No, because hmm. they didn't even see each other, as everybody knows by now. But anybody who was expecting Phelps to actually race a shark got all the disappointment that that they deserve. Like, seriously, did you think they were going to somehow coerce this shark into a swimming pool or put Phelps into the ocean, into some sort of tube against a shark? But there were those that were disappointed. Randy Parker, were you one of those people? Uh, yeah, I was. Really? I, did you get suckered in? I didn't know. Well, because you read it and it said, oh, Michael Phelps will be racing a shark to kick off Shark Week. And it was a big deal. And then I found out later it was a CGI shark. Not very happy. I think it was. I think it was a cop out on Phelps' part. Yeah, I think a lot of people are because that's how they marketed it, right? For months, Phelps versus a shark. We didn't know how they were going to pull it off, but the fact that it ended up being a CG shark, regardless of how realistic the simulation was, I think it is a bit of a rip off. So I didn't watch it. I forgot it was even on. So I didn't. <laughs> you know what? I didn't watch it either. I've just been reading about it. I just know that I'm disappointed. Well, the shark uh, striking back here. Dear Mr. Phelps, I was appalled to learn in the Washington Post that you felt the need to speak to the public about our race on Sunday night, a race I clearly won. I'm dismayed by the falsehoods you told fans in a Facebook Q&A, and against the advice of my legal team, I've decided to clear the air. We both know what happened, Michael. In the lead-up to the race, my camp routinely called for us to share a pool, only to to be rebuffed by Team Phelps at every turn. They claimed you were afraid for your safety, characterizing me, a shark, as the bad guy in the contest. We both know how unfair this was. I don't forget that bottle of 2011 Domaine de la Romanie Conti La Tache we shared after inking the deal with Discovery, or how we talk long into the night about a life of swimming. Evidently... You did. The truth is you never wanted to see me. This was a scheme hatched between Team Phelps and Discovery to paint you as the hero and me the villain. I had almost no notice or preparation for the race. I was shocked as everyone to learn on Sunday that you were given flippers. I, per race agreements, swam naked. I never would have accepted these conditions had I known you were being given an unfair advantage. As a result, you only lost our race by two seconds. This has severely damaged my reputation in the aquatic community. My children can't go to school without being mocked for having a dad who almost got beat by a land dweller. An Aquaman conspicuously won't return my calls anymore. Even the herd of seals near our house swim close, unafraid, muttering, come and catch us, slowpoke. Have you ever had your food laugh at you, Mr. Phelps? It doesn't feel good. We both know that if you swam naked as I did, I would have beaten you by at least 10 seconds. This travesty should not be misreported by the lamestream media or perpetuated by you. Keep your medals, enjoy your fleeting glory at almost beating a shark. I know your true colors. They're not gold. They're poop colored like poop. Sincerely, Great White Shark. So the shark is fighting back. And now Randy Parker is fighting back. Yes, in the wake of the disappointment of the Phelps shark race. Um, somehow, some way, it came out that I'm going to race a walleye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how we got onto this. Sometimes that happens. 
Uh, but uh, lots of people are excited. We did a vote on the air today on our show, and um, it was five to one. Five people said they would come out and watch. Not even, <laughs> not even that I would win. Just that they would come. So there's enough public interest, and I feel like this uh, this town needs a hero. I think I might be it. I think uh, the fish. Maybe needing a hero, some redemption based on the reaction of the great white well, shark yeah. here too, Brett. See, a walleye. How did like when did this? When did you first hear about this? Um, well, we were kind of just talking, and I I thought I'd race a fish because <laughs> it's we were all disappointed to find out it wasn't a real shark. Yep. So I said, well, how can we, how can we kind of redo this and and make it real. So we said, well, let's raise some sort of fish. We were thinking a trout maybe. Apparently a rainbow trout is the fastest freshwater fish, so I can't do that. I can't take that on. But you know what? I figured a walleye, I can make this happen somehow, some way. <laughs> and I don't know how it's going to happen, but we've got a poster made. What's what's The, the poster is cool. <laughs> the poster is great. So uh, we're feeling the hype here yeah. at CJOB. Here on Mackling and McGarry, can't speak for any of the other shows, but we're behind this 100%. We'll come on location. We'll cover this mega event. Uh, what do you know about the walleye? Have you got a scouting report on walleye in general, in terms of their speed, their maneuverability? Um, what research have you done? Well, I know that because, you know, walleye pickerel, everyone calls it the same thing. Apparently a pickerel is different than a walleye. Um, and a pickerel swims, I believe it's like four meters per second or something. So, but is it like a shark in short bursts or has it got, it's like, it's kind of short bursts. Yeah. Has it got stamina? It's going to be a tough go for me regardless. I feel like the, the stats behind it don't really matter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel like I really need to bring my A game, maybe get some flippers, maybe a dorsal fin. I don't know what's going to help me out. Do you have Um, to wear one of those caps, the swimming caps? Well, if it's, yeah, we're going to have to really figure out how to make me as aerodynamic as possible. I might just, you know, I really have no idea. Do you swim? Yeah. Do you have a preferred stroke? (laughs) No, like I prefer the frog. the way you answered that, (laughs) it made it sound like, well, yeah, I go in the pool. Like (laughs) It didn't really sound like you swim. It sounds like the swim up bar perhaps. Like, well, always prefer the swim up bar, of course, but like grew up at the lake, grew up around a lot of walleye, big big fisherman, fisher girl, whatever you want to. Call it. So I feel like I have the knowledge of the fish, and I feel like I'm a friend to the fish. So uh, <laughs> maybe, just maybe, it would it would work somehow. Now you have seen these mermaid Those sort tails. of fins, tails that yeah. the kids wear. Yeah. Now, right in the swimming pool. See, we couldn't do that though because Why? that's Why? that's not. It restricts my limbs, and uh, it's gonna therefore decrease my speed. Because I need full, I like to flail when I swim. It might not seem like the best technique, but it gets me where I need to go. And uh, I feel like I could beat the walleye with it. So are we thinking like, are we thinking Pan Am pool, Cindy Clausen pool? See, that's where we're really having backyard trouble. Backyard pool, like what, what are we going to do Yeah, because like they're chlorine, you know? Yeah. And um, I feel as soon as um, a fish were to breathe that in, it would not do good for it, which might be an advantage on my part, because maybe it would just die, we could fill it, it eat it, boom, I win the race, and everyone has lunch. <laughs> that could be good. Because really, this I don't see- This is smack talk. <laughs> this yeah. is smack talk. It's, yeah, we haven't heard from the walleye yet, um, so I, I've been doing a lot of smack talking with no rebuttal, but yeah, we're trying to figure out where this could happen. Uh, first, we have to find someone who would be okay with having a fish in their pool, um, would it have to be a pool? Like, could you go to a, a lake or a pond or something? We to do could. This? We'd need to like fence it off, though. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of work. 
it all sounds like a lot of work if we're being honest, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. We've got a team behind us and a lot of people are on board. And yeah, like I said, I think Winnipeg needs a hero after this disappointment with. And then a satisfying meal. Yes. To follow. Of course. Hmm. We only have one fish though. So <laughs> plus we have to catch the fish, not to mention I like I could go to the cabin, catch a fish. I just got to keep it alive. It's like a two and a half hour, very bumpy ride back. So there's no so, walleye that are brave enough to step up to this challenge. Like, I mean, it's no. been it's been put out there. Yeah, we have a picture of one for the poster. That's just what we think the walleye is going to look like. Very <laughs> fierce. Mean. Very fierce. Yeah, he's about a 16 and a half incher. Uh, so speedy. But uh, no, no one's uh, no walleye have uh, stepped up yet. So still waiting on that. So as much fun as we're having with this, you know you have to do this now. I know. That's the another, thing. Because right? we brought it up as a joke and then we tweeted it out and we've got people retweeting and replying. And it's like, I think I need to raise a walleye. And we were trying to think, what other kind of fish could I do? Maybe a goldfish out of a pond or something. But with the posters made, it's got to be a walleye. Great poster, by the way. It really, it, it, you look so serious, too. Did you pose for that or did they just grab a random picture of you and make you look really badass? They just said, hey, Randy... Are you going to race that walleye? And then I looked with fear, like a fierce look in my eyes, and they caught me <laughs> candid right then and there. And that was the poster face. Power mornings <laughs> with uh, Randy Parker, Phil Aubrey, and Joe Aiello. Noticed how I switched the yeah, I order like of traditional Thank you. Uh, you know, <laughs> pronouncement there. Uh, how can people follow you on Twitter and uh, get... All the excitement of the lead up to this uh, mega match. Oh, there's a lot. It's you don't e- almost don't even have to look for the hype for this thing. It's huge. But you can always go to uh, the Power 97 Facebook page, just Power 97. On Twitter, I'm Randy Parker 97. Randy with a Y. Don't mistake me for a man. Many do. But uh, yeah, and then we're uh, Power 97 WPG on Twitter. Lots of hype. Check out the poster. And. You know what? Suggestions of where we could do this would be fantastic. I think you'll be surprised at how many people will have a, a really good idea on how to do yeah, this. Yeah, so far it's been it's been a lot. It's been intense. Well, Mayweather uh, McGregor has nothing on the hype around this oh, matchup. No. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. Randy Parker from Power Mornings. Philly, Joe, and Randy, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. every day, Monday to Friday on Power 97, Winnipeg's Rock. Randy versus the Walleye. <laughs> this is in the wake of the Michael Phelps versus the Shark business. And here's a text message that came in shortly after we started this segment at 204-780-6868. Dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> The idea that Randy will race a walleye. And uh, Mick texted as well to say, whoever produced that visual forgery, talking about Michael Phelps racing a CG simulated shark, whoever produced that visual forgery should be relegated to the same fate as Quinton Jaws. Wow. And one more suggestion here. Randy should race a manatee. (laughs) They look slow. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for those suggestions at 204-780-60. Seriously? Oh, okay. This <laughs> this is a radio station, so hopefully somebody in the building is listening. Do we have any WD-40 in the building? This is ridiculous. 
If you have any WD-40 somewhere in this building, can you please bring it to the interview studio so we can deal with this chair? Either that or just bring me a lighter so I can set it on fire. Greg Mackling is going to join us after your forecast. He's at VJ's apparently with our friends from San Diego. Your forecast is up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. He joins us now somewhere in Winnipeg with the Mortlands. Greg, where are you, man? We are having a burger at DJ's on Main and Broadway. You know, just a little bit of a Winnipeg icon here, having a burger with some chili on it, some fries. Just uh, trying to get Gregory fed here. So we're having a good time. Uh, We just uh, left the Canadian Museum for Human Rights about 20 minutes ago, walked through the Union Station. Uh, The Mortlands were both uh, in awe of the architecture, not only in the Union Station, but a lot of the architecture they've seen and scott and i started talking about uh the connection to chicago and winnipeg nickname chicago the north they uh scott is just uh uh such an easy guy to get along with so we're having a great time here educating one another about where we both live where were you before you when you sorry you went to the vj's uh you started off at the forks right we were at we were at the canadian museum for human rights we went up the tower of hope and got an incredible view, a lay of the land, so to speak, of the city. And, you know, you can see so much from the top of the tower there. And then uh, we looked around the museum, just a very abbreviated visit, obviously. And we haven't even got to the forks to look at the Winnipeg sign or anything like that. Things go a lot slower once you get out here in the field, Brett. So uh, we may be uh, skipping the legislature altogether and heading to the journey to Churchill in the next 15 minutes or so. Oh, that's a tough choice, but uh, either way, I think you got a winner. So, Greg, enjoy yourself while you're out there with Scott and Gregory, who are in from San Diego to see their new adopted team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, as they take on Les Alouettes de Montréal this evening at Investors Group Field. Up next on 680 CJOB, after Global News at 1.30 with Clay Young, we're going to speak with City Councilor Janice Lukes about something that's going on in Bridgewater that's a bit of a whoopsie-daisy in terms of design that could lead to some trees going bye-bye. Brett McGarry with you, flying solo, sort of. Greg Mackling is here in spirit. He is out in the field with Scott and Gregory Mortland from San Diego showing them the sights. They were at VJ's, and he's going to take them to the Forks, and I think Journey to Churchill, they were deciding between that and the legislature. So we'll hear from him throughout the afternoon. Also, just Before we bring on our guest here, I just need to provide you with an important update. The chair is sort of less squeaky. We, I believe the, the WD-40 has worked a little bit, but I think it needs a little bit more. But at the very least, we have isolated the spot on the chair that is creating the squeak. I'm just going to stand up here. Where did I put that piece of tape? Yeah, I'm stepping on this one leg. It's this wheel. Okay. I really should just throw this chair out the window, but... Or go get one of the the 50 chairs that we have at our disposal, but I'm too lazy for that. Someone who is not too lazy to join us, even while she's on holidays, is Janice Lukes, who is the South Winnipeg St. Norbert Councillor for the City of Winnipeg. Councillor Lukes, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. No problem. 
Thank you for having me. So the reason why we have invited Councillor Lukes on is there is an article in the Winnipeg Free Press. I just want to read a couple of uh, lines from this, and then we will get Janice Lukes to react. The headline reads, Bridgewater Design Flaws, Illegal Drainage Hurting City Forest, Councillor says. Trees are dying in Bridgewater Forest as a result of what the area councillor says is poor city planning compounded by homeowners illegally draining their sump pumps. Drainage throughout the 25-acre forest is poor, with paths that block the flow of water and ineffective catch basins installed too high off the ground. That's just a, a taste. Janice Lukes, what is... Why don't you tell us, rather than me continue to read here, why don't you tell us from your understanding what is happening in Bridgewater? Sure. Well, we have some challenges with this beautiful forest in the community of Bridgewater Forest. The urban environment was built around an existing forest, and anytime that happens, there is always going to be some form of stress put on the forest. So since being elected, I've had um, three three springs here, almost three springs that I've been working through the issues, the summer and the fall, and observing what's going on in the forest. And actually, it's a combination of things. We're very concerned about the health of the forest. There's, there's a combination of things that are impacting it. Um, one, of, one, of the, one of the things that is impacting it is um, the catch basins. There are catch basins, you know, those are those like uh, holes that go down into the stormwater. Um, pipes, they're higher than the level of the water. They're higher than the ground. So that's, that's one challenge because the water doesn't, you know, jump up into the catch basin. It, it slows down into it. But when it's too high, that's a problem. The uh, second factor that's causing the forest to be under stress is sump pump hoses. I never in my life thought I'd know so much about sump pump hoses. But um, in communities that are built um, where density is is developed into the community, where there's not large, you know, pieces of lawn, um, and where there's large houses with big roofs, the rainwater doesn't have a lot of place to absorb. So it runs off, um, on, and it goes into the you know, drainage tiles, and then it's pumped pumped out so it doesn't damage the house through the sump pump. So there's you're supposed to, you know, put your sump pump on your property and let it run somewhere. Well, a lot of these lawns are smaller lawns by design. Many people love that. Um, but it's it's challenging to let your sump pump drain onto a small piece of lawn because then your lawn's wet. So where do you drain the sump pump? Do you drain it either on the sidewalk, you drain it on the street, or if you back onto the forest, not all, but some folks are draining it back into the forest. And I think the big problem is people just don't understand um, the damage that a sump pump can actually do draining into the forest. And, and, and that's an issue because plants mm-hmm. need oxygen in their roots. And if you're continually, you know, think of a hose on your tree, eventually there's not going to be any oxygen left and, and the roots will rot and then the tree will die. So that's, that's the second sort of issue. And the third issue is is related to design. Mm-hmm. And there are pathways, beautiful pathways, that cut through the forest, but the drainage flow from one side of the pathway to the other side is non-existent. And then that creates, you know, pockets that can't drain. 
So it's a combination of these factors that are is putting the forest under stress. And um, fortunately, I'm working with the uh, parks department. I'm working with the naturalist department, water and waste department. Mm-hmm. We're doing an assessment of the health of the forest. And then we're going to basically see what we need to do to improve upon the health. Um, I've worked with uh, Save Our Seine on the Bois d'Esprit Forest, which is a very large um, river bottom forest in basically the area of River Park South, Royalwood. And with proper care, the forest will thrive. So that, that's the immediate problem. That's the problem, the issues, and what we're going to do to solve it. Now, the bigger challenge is in new communities that are built, there's two pipes. There's the sewer pipe and the stormwater pipe, which is great. They're separated pipes, not like in older areas where it's the combined sewer overflow uh, pipes. They're separate pipes. Many, many new communities that are being developed have the houses hook their stormwater, their, their drain pipes, and their sump pumps into the stormwater pipe, which then flows and ultimately ends up in the river. And that's fine because that's rainwater going into the river. In this development, that didn't occur. Now, it didn't occur because it, at that point in time, it wasn't required. So that's a challenge because as we go forward now, we've got new developments that we're building. And here's sort of the third part of this that, that creates complexity is when developers build communities, there's an agreement. It's called the developer parameter agreement. There's things stipulated they must do. There's things stipulated the city must do. So right now we're working off an agreement from the 90s. 1991, I think, was the last time it was updated. We were about to start the process of updating it again, but um, due to fumbling the implementation of impact fees, um, which now has landed in the law courts, there's no progress being made on upgrading the developer development agreement parameters. So it's concerning because going forward, we should be looking at best practices, new innovation, new techniques when we do developments. And, you know, that's sort of the big picture forward looking challenge that we have. So, I mean, that's, that's the planning department. They're working on that, but we're kind of at a standstill right now because of the fumbled impact to implementation. So that, that's sort of you know the, the the small the small version the small picture to the big picture and uh, I'm meeting with the residents of Bridgewater Forest tonight again. We're going to sit down. We're going to go through many items that we've got on our agenda and and this is just progress on how we're going to be dealing with the health of the forest. South Winnipeg St. Norbert Councillor Janice Lukes is our guest talking about the situation in Bridgewater Forest where the actual forest is getting flooded and trees are in danger there. And before we, I understand Greg Mackling is available to us. Before we bring him on, I just want to ask you, Councillor Lukes, for those who are unfamiliar with this area, where is the actual forest itself? Mm-hmm. Well, I like to give people sort of a landmark in South Winnipeg, and I think most people know where Crampton's is. Crampton's is on the corner of Waverly and uh, Bishop Grandin, and the forest is is just south of that, south southwest of that. So it's it's totally surrounded by urban development within within the community, the neighborhood of Bridgewater. All right, thank you for that. And Greg Mackling, I understand you're standing by. You're there, sir. 
I am. And uh, Councillor Lukes, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. I know it's a holiday day, uh, but th- this is a, an issue that obviously needs some addressing. Well, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is who is responsible in the first place uh, for creating a situation where these storm drains are higher than essentially the the level of the road how does how does this pass inspection and maybe you know enough that you can explain to us uh how this was missed sure so so right now i'm working with the water and waste department and we're determining we're, we're determining where the ones are that are higher and you know this community uh this whole quadrant of winnipeg is the fastest growing quadrant in the city and i think that maybe it just grew so fast that the inspectors, I'm not sure, but on some other things, didn't have a chance to see and give a final approval. So uh, ultimately, the city approves plans, and ultimately, the city takes on uh, and signs off on and takes on responsibility of ownership. Um, I'm not sure exactly how this has occurred. I know there is a simple solution. You take a ring out, you, you lower the concrete, so it's, it's, it's a simple solution. Sometimes settling occurs also, but um, we're, we're not exactly sure yet, but we're pursuing it. Councillor uh, Luke, next question. Oh, sorry. Brett. No, Greg, you go ahead. This is just for you listening right now. Again, Greg is out of the studio. He's on the road somewhere, so I can't see Greg. He can't see me. So, uh, Greg, you go ahead. No, I just wanted to ask Councillor Lukes. I wanted to, to kind of tie this into the situation in the Parker wetlands. Obviously, there's going to be residential development in that part of the city. We were following that story quite intently yesterday. And one of the concerns of uh, the protesters that remain on, the, on that site is how are we going to intertwine and how are we going to marry uh, the development, the residential development that I think most people agree is required and will be a boon uh, to the economy in that neighborhood. How do you tie it together and make sure that that forest survives, that we don't have a situation like this in the Parkerlands? Mm-hmm. Well, with, with any development, what we have to do is you have to work very closely with the naturalist office. And the development community, the city planners, the public works department, all the departments have to work very closely with the nationalist office to protect the habitat and um, in any development. And, uh, and that's what has to occur. And, and regardless, when you have a natural forest and you're building urban development around it, the forest will be stressed. So you have to put in a care plan, a monitoring plan. And um, this, for the Bridgewater case, uh, there is none. So we're going to develop one. We're going to develop a care plan. We're going to uh, learn how we take care of it. Uh, The city is going to learn. The residents are going to learn. Because, you know, green space is so beautiful to have in a a residential environment. And the key is putting in a maintenance plan and a care plan. So, Councillor Lukes, you mentioned that it is illegal, uh, or I understand it's illegal to to put your sump pump on your driveway and have the the water run down the driveway and onto the street. Why is mm-hmm. that? Well, actually, uh, it's <laughs> what happens is the water continually runs on the street or the sidewalk. In the summertime, it corrodes the concrete, it rots the concrete, and it rots it rots the the road. Um, in the wintertime. Some sump pumps run all the time because of the water level or the area they're in, and you get big, big icy patches. 
which is dangerous for cars and dangerous for um, pedestrians. So it's really challenging. What, what we are recommending people to do is just move the sump pump to different locations and move it around. That's not ideal. That's not fun always to be out there moving your sump pump around. But ultimately, the sidewalk in front of your house or road will crumble and, and there'll be a hole there. So if they can't, they can't put it in the driveway and if they, the back, you mentioned the small lawns in the backyard uh, mm-hmm. that lead immediately into the forest. So it's problematic mm-hmm. in the front. It's problematic in the back. So what are mm-hmm. these residents supposed to do in the meantime? Yeah, well, that's the problem. That's the problem. And they just have to move their sump pump hose around. And, and I mean, we've all got better things to do than moving our sump pump hose around. Um so that's why going forward in any new development, we need to tie in the sump pump into the stormwater drain. And we can't, we can only do this in new developments. Like we have to tie it from the house to the sump pump, to the stormwater drain. In older developments, if we take our sump pump and we put it down the drain, it goes into the sewer drain and we end up treating that rainwater, which then ends up costing every taxpayer more. So that's really what the bylaw is uh, to prevent, you know. So it's, it's a big challenge. And I, I just um, I'm frustrated that in this beautiful new development, um, we didn't apply the newest technologies and best practices. And, and I'm very concerned going forward. And I'm speaking to the planning department. And, but we're kind, of at, we're kind of at a standstill because we fumbled the implementation the, uh, of the impact fees and we're in a law lawyer court situation and everything's on hold and but yet development's occurring. So um, it's a problem. One final question, Councillor Lukes. I don't want to take up your entire afternoon here on your day off, but uh, just wondering... In the meantime, while the situation is looked at for Bridgewater, how dire is the situation as far as the life of the forest is concerned? Well, you know, the thing is, what we can do is we can assess it, and if, if sections have drowned, drowned out, really, because that's what, what's happening in certain sections, we're going to end up uh, putting in a habitat that will be more water tolerant, more willows, more, you know, we don't want to mess with the forest too much, but um, forests ultimately, they're living entities and they take on, you know, something else will perk up or something else will grow. But it's just, we need to be aware of this and we we need to sort of take our sump pumps out of the forest and, and move them elsewhere. So, we're going to do a flyer drop in the neighborhood. I appreciate the time on the on the radio here. Um, you know, and just so you know, counselors really work all the time. <laughs> Unless you go away for a two week holiday, even though we're on parole, we're doing ward work. So this is no problem at all. It's a it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to share this information, and it's not just in Bridgewater, right? It's everywhere throughout the city, you know, and. Anyone that's run a sump pump a long time on a tree, they, they see what happens. Uh, my kid grows giant pumpkins. That's probably the only thing that's good for running it directly on because they're full of water. So. <laughs> uh, but we all can't grow giant pumpkins to absorb the water. Um, it's, it, is, it is a challenge, but in new developments, we need to really start addressing this with new technologies. So all right. I'm hoping that's the direction we're going. South Winnipeg St. Norbert Councillor Janice Lukes, thank you very much for joining us today live on 680 CJOB. We will let you go now. And I will ask you, the listener, 680 CJOB listener, what do you think of what you've just heard? You have a situation where a new area is developed. I mean, how many times have we heard this? 
in the city of Winnipeg where a new area is developed. But whoops, we don't have proper infrastructure for this or proper infrastructure for that. In this case, we're hearing about catch basins being too high. So now the water or the the lawns or the backyards are too small. So people have nowhere to put their sump pumps, but into the Bridgewater forest. And now this forest is getting drowned because of poor planning. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. You can also email brett at cjob.com. Greg is here in spirit. His email is gmac at cjob.com. We will have a look at your forecast coming up next. Brett McGarry in studio. Greg Mackling is on the road. He is... Showing Scott and Gregory Mortland from San Diego, our great city, as they are visiting to see the Winnipeg Blue Bombers play tonight. Montreal, Alouettes at Investors Group Field. So we will hear from Greg throughout the afternoon. But in studio with us right now, we have a guest who is a good friend of this radio station. You've heard his voice many times throughout the years. He is... Known as Professor Popsicle, he is a faculty of kinesiology professor Gordon Giesbrecht from the University of Manitoba. And before we get into what we, uh, there's, you've recently sort of celebrated a rare milestone and we want to learn about that. But for those who are not aware, I just, I have to ask you uh, just to help kind of reset the table. Why are you known as Professor Popsicle? Well, I've been freezing people for a couple of decades now and uh, I... So far, everyone I've frozen, I've brought back uh, in a safe manner. And uh, in uh, 2003, Outside Magazine did a, a feature article on me. And uh, I didn't know what the title was going to be till I opened the magazine. And it said, Meet Professor Popsicle. And that's stuck ever since. Really? So is it something that you don't... Do you like it? No, it's good. Uh, mo- <laughs> most most people who know me from my uh, professional area know me by that. Uh, uh, and and many more re- remember me based on that versus how many would remember just my name. So that's fine. Good. Helps get the message. My my job is uh, is uh, to get uh, life saving messages out, and uh, I try to get people to remember that any way they can. And certainly the moniker helps. Well, we'll we'll talk about the latest life saving message momentarily here. It's part of a, a paper that you've written, and the reason why we brought you in is because this is quite uh, the milestone. You have recently published your one hundredth paper in a peer reviewed journal, and this is a pretty big milestone. So, tell us a little bit about that achievement. Yeah, you know, I tell I'm not a paper counter like people think academics are. But uh, back uh, in the early '90s, my uh, research supervisor said, "You know, you do work; it's paid for by uh, by the public purse, and you owe it to the public to publish it." So that that's basically what I do with every study that I can. And you know, over the years, it just adds up. And uh, I, I noticed, you know, you and when it publishes, you add it to your your resume, and I realized I was getting close to a hundred and was thinking, should I try to manipulate what paper might be the 100th? Uh, those are very short discussions because who's got the time for that? But anyway, just worked out that a really cool paper ended up being number 100. So the, the paper itself is called An Automatic Window Opening System to Prevent Drownings in Vehicles Sinking in Water. And you've given me a copy of the paper, and right on the front page there is a car that is plunging into a body of water of some sort. Were you at the wheel? I was driving that car. You, <laughs> what kind of car is it? Uh, I, I can't even remember. Okay. But I, it was, um, 
it was interesting. This is one of the, as there are more online journals, uh, sometimes you get an opportunity to, to submit a, a, an actual uh, picture for the cover of that article. So this was perfect. So I threw that, that picture in there and, uh, yep, 30 miles an hour. That was pretty good. Which body of water is this? It's uh, it, it's interesting. It's the uh, retention pond in front of the headquarters for the Indiana State Police. The Indiana State Police? Yeah, I've done a lot of work with them, and uh, they have done an, a number of demonstrations and some research on uh, vehicle submersion in their pond. It's great because they, uh, they own the pond, and as long as the CO says you could do it, you could do it. And, uh, you know, we, we, we cleaned up the, the vehicle environmentally, and... And just had enough gas to basically get us into the water. But, uh, you know, we, we were trying to test a system that will automatically open windows. And uh, this thing worked very well. So, I mean, it, it, I obviously that we're, we're kind of having a little bit of fun with that. I, I'm kind of, kind of get a kick out of the fact that you got to drive a car into a lake and or a pond. And that's neat. But you're doing this because, like you said, you want to save lives. And. And I saw, did I read correctly that 6 to 10% of all drownings happen in vehicles? Yeah. I should just add one thing. That's the first time I've been uh, airborne in a car. Oh, really? <laughs> did you jump off yeah, of a ramp or something? Yeah, well, just yeah, sort of, uh, you know, there's a bank that, that goes down into the, if you drive fast enough, you can get a little airborne. But anyway, yeah, indeed, in North America, 6 to 10%, depending on the year, of drownings happen in vehicles. And that's a pretty surprising stat for most people. 400 people about every year in Canada and the U.S. drown in vehicles. And the tragedy is that uh, most people are uninjured by the actual collision or contact with the water. They're, you know, the people who are found on autopsy, uh, they have no injuries. So that means you had people who were perfectly functional sitting in a vehicle drowning. And uh, a lot of it is either uh, because, uh, you know, 20% of the population will panic and do nothing in a situation like that. Uh, and uh, another, the larger percentage of the, will just sort of act on instinct or what they've heard all their life and they make the wrong decision. And then there's another smaller group who heard some of our advice, but forget it. And the bottom line is it's, it, I, I joke that I'm trying to uh, create the stop, drop and roll of the 21st century, uh, which is seatbelts, windows out. If you're in a car, in the water, undo your seatbelts, open the window, get out. And uh, that sounds obvious, but, uh, you know, most people have heard sometime in their life, you should let the vehicle fill with water, that'll equalize the pressure, and then you can open the doors. Well, by then you're at the bottom of the lake or the river, you have no air, and unless you're a really good stuntman, you're going to drown. And so this is uh, something we've been working on for the last 10 years in Operation Alive, automobile submersion, lessons in vehicle escape, and... Uh, We've had about three different, a three-prong approach. One is, uh, you know, to just say, do not touch your cell phone, seatbelts, windows out, and children first. As a little addendum there, uh, but you know, a lot of people still are the automatic thing for most people. Like these days, you got a problem, you either take a picture. If you see a problem, you take a picture of it with your cell phone. If you have a problem, you call for help with your cell phone. And uh, it just hit me one day as I was going through this. Uh, basically, if you touch your cell phone when you're in a car and it's sinking, basically you're going to die because really? you're because you're wasting. You have one minute to get out of this vehicle, and uh, it's actually interesting. You can get very little done in one minute on a phone call. Well, what happens? 
Well, first of all, you you mentioned that uh, people are going into the water and they're not injured by the uh, the impact when you did this because the, the the picture that I'm looking at here and it looks like it might be an old Pontiac Grand Am. I'm not entirely sure, but this is a significant impact. The water is is splashing. Like you didn't just kind of gently nudge the car in. You hit the water at at a high at a fairly high speed. What did it feel like when you hit the water? Well, it wasn't hard enough to deploy the airbag. Uh, you know, it was interesting, but I, we had a seatbelt on, and uh, and uh, it wasn't bad. I had I, I had been in. We did one of these trials the year before, and one of the uh, troopers drove. And I said, "Well, if we're going to do this again, I've got to drive." And so I knew that if you're going 25 miles an hour, is no big deal. So I went 30, and it was good. Basically, as fast as I could get it in going in the short distance I had to uh, to put it in. But but this. Um, uh, this, I started working with an inventor about five years ago, Michael Percher, who who came to me with the idea. He said, you know, we, we know we got people drowning and they're not getting out of the vehicle and they're not hurt. And uh, so he wanted to have a, make an automatic window opening system. So it senses when the car is in water, not splashed, it has to be actually in the water, and, and then just starts the electric windows and opens all the windows up. And uh, so that sounded good to me. That For me, education for the public to save your life, the less steps, the better. So if when, after you've had an impact, if the window's already open, then you just have to get your seatbelt off and get out. And if you don't remember what the steps are, we, we think that certainly for some people, the fact that the window is opening beside you might clue you into the fact that, hey, I can just get out. Yeah. It, it, why do you think that people have the, sometimes lack the ability to keep it together. And I, I'll give you an example. Uh, I, and then I realize these are two completely different things. But I went, when I went skydiving, this was almost 20 years ago now. This was out in Gimli. And we had to, before we could go skydiving, we had, I think, a four-hour class. We had to, they, they, like, they put us through a training where, Throughout the whole thing, they kept they they basically bashed it into our brain that you know the process of what they wanted us to do. Right, you needed to count to three and say to yourself, "Am I falling too fast? Uh, is my I don't know." Just to take sort of take a mental checklist, mm-hmm. and instead of so I knew this going in, but as soon as I let go, I just started flailing and kicking and and giggling like a little child. And then my parachute deployed, thank God. Had it not deployed, I don't know that I would have been able to pull myself together because yeah. of the in that moment, I lost my ability to kind of function cognitively and I was just completely consumed by instinct. So how do you pull it together if you are faced with this kind of uh, trauma? <clears throat> well, part, part of that is have you had the right training in the first place? If you had no training, then you would have had nothing to forget and you would have been even in worse shape. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so if you don't know anything, uh, there again, there's about twenty percent of the population that just freezes and do, does nothing. And we we've all seen or heard of those kind of situations. And, and then the other, you know, eighty percent is going to be divided between a group that, uh, in this case, will likely be doing the wrong thing because they've heard the wrong thing. You should let the vehicle fill with water. That whole thing. As opposed to if you're on fire, most people remember the stop, drop, and roll. Uh, and, uh, and then there will be a smaller group of people who, who have heard our message, don't, let, don't sit around, you've got one minute to get out, and, uh, you know, seatbelts, windows, out. 
Uh, and, and that group, some of them will forget it and some of them will do it. And we, and we know that we have had uh, a cool part of this whole part of the research is that, uh, uh, you know, we have a number of cases now where people have said, hey, you know, I heard this message. My car was in the water. I did what you said and we lived, uh, including one case that was on the national news uh, uh, it was right after we'd done a, a section with uh, 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 with Rick Mercer, and uh, she had watched us on that show. And uh, uh, very soon thereafter, her and her husband and, and her little kid uh, ended up in the water. And she did all the things we said. And it was pretty funny because the headline on the on the national news was uh, "Rick Mercer saves lives." <laughs> really? uh, and I don't really care who gets credit. Because all I care about is the fact that that whole family is still alive. And we know that as time goes on, we'll have more and more of those stories. Where are these, or is there a sort of a particular spot where there's a heavy concentration of these accidents that occur? Or is it just kind of random throughout North America? Florida. <laughs> is it Florida? <laughs> yeah, Florida is pretty high because they've got a lot of roads that have canals beside them. Um, so in the bottom line is wherever there's water and uh, where are there cur- where there are curved roads where you, if you know if you miss the corner and you go into the ditch the, it's not just a ditch it's a downhill downhill slope into a retention pond or a river so it's pretty you know other than places like Florida where the where the road system is really different than the average road system uh, it's a uh, it, it's a smattering across you know but uh, you add it all up and it's 400 deaths a year in Canada and the United States. And uh, for 400 that hopefully will be prevented thanks to your research and we'll continue to have our conversation with Professor Gordon Giesbrecht. He is with the Faculty of Kinesiology at the University of Manitoba. He's affectionately known as Professor Popsicle. He has written a paper. It's his 100th paper in a peer-reviewed journal. That is a huge milestone. That's the reason we brought him in today, to celebrate this milestone and to talk about the paper. An automatic window opening system to prevent drownings in vehicles sinking in water. Our chat continues after your forecast, which is up next. Brett McGarry in studio. Greg Mackling on the road with the Mortlands from San Diego. They're here to see the bomber game. And Greg is showing them the sights. He was given a three-hour window, so he's taking them to as much stuff as possible. I think he's on his way to journey to Churchill, if not already there. So we'll check in with him throughout the afternoon. Our in-studio guest is Faculty of Kinesiology professor from the University of Manitoba, Gordon Giesbrecht, a.k.a. Professor Popsicle. He has hit a rare and huge milestone. He's published his 100th paper in a peer-reviewed journal. The journal is Cogent Engineering, and the paper is called... It's about an automatic window opening system to prevent drowning in vehicles sinking in water. And Professor Giesbrecht, I understand that as in terms of 911 protocols for people who are in vehicles submerged in water, you have... have made a significant contribution. Yeah, well, like, as I said before, we have three different uh, prongs at this. One is just the public message. So you know, if you're in water, seatbelts, windows out, children first. Uh, we've got the automatic, you know, the automatic window opener to maybe nudge you along to get out if you hadn't thought about it or forgot about it. Uh, the other thing is that people do call, uh, use your cell phones to call for help, including from within 911 or, or sinking vehicles. And we have some very, they're very disturbing uh, recordings uh, from 911 operators where, uh, you know, people are starting out saying, I need help. And 
And the 911, the typical response is, well, tell us where you are, what color is your car, we're on our way, just relax, hang on there. And uh, the reality is, as I said before, although a car might have air in it for up to four or five minutes, you've only got one minute to get out. And after that, it's too deep, the pressure's against the windows and you can't open it. And so they're pretty disturbing uh, audios of people basically drowning right right in front of your ears, so to speak. And so I was asked to uh, to rewrite the 911 protocols for the situation. Uh, and we've done that in a, for a company that distributes uh, these programs to about 60% of the English-speaking world. And now, instead of telling you to just hang in there and wait for help, um, nobody's going to get to you within a minute. Uh, they immediately switch over and tell you, get your seatbelt off, open your window. Are there any kids? Get them out and get out as fast as you can. And uh, so if you ignore, if you didn't hear or you ignore our advice to not touch your cell phone, we've got that kind of covered if, you know, if you're in an area that does have our, our protocol. This uh, automatic window opening system, is this something that we can expect or hope to see in vehicles soon? I should first say I have no uh, no financial. Uh, I published the paper. I'm done with the, with the inventor. I'm not. I don't have any interest in this. So I can say what I'm about to say now without any conflict of interest. I I think it'd be, it's a it's a relatively cheap system, and it, it'll be a perfect world scenario to have this in every car that's manufactured in the future. Um, it's a pretty it, it's it is pretty simple. It's it's really you know sensors and. Uh, relay switches and things like that that just make the windows open. And if they're open, you're much more likely to get out. We've even had reports of people who had windows open and because they just didn't understand things properly, they actually closed them while they were floating in the water. Oh, no. And then, of course, you know, a minute later, they realized they can't get them open again. So, um, yeah, so we're just trying to trying to keep people alive and... Uh, if you either remember our advice or you have this device or you call 911, they'll tell you what to do or uh, your chances are a lot better now than 10 years ago to uh, survive such an incident. Uh, we have about uh, just a minute left here. You say you, you have a minute, otherwise it, the pressure becomes too much to get the windows open. So let's say uh, even does that for like all windows, automatic or manually? Yeah, the, the issue is most people understand you can't open the doors because the water is higher on the outside and the pressure holds the door shut. Yeah. You can still open the window as long as the window is above the water. Once the water gets about halfway up the window, now it's like me going out in the parking lot and pushing against your window. You won't be able to open it either manually or electronically. So that's that's the time limit. It's about a minute until the water gets that high. Okay. Well, I, unfortunately, we have no more time. We could have gone another half hour. So we'll just have to have you back some point down the road. Professor Gordon Giesbrecht from the University of Manitoba. Anytime, Brett. Professor Popsicle. And again, the name of the paper, An Automatic Window Opening System to Prevent Drowning in Vehicles Sinking in Water. It's uh, published in the journal Cogent Engineering. Carolyn Clausen joins us after Global News at 2.30. It's Thursday at 2.30, which means Carolyn Clausen is here. She is a therapist with Conexus Counseling, and she has a website, connexuscounseling.ca, where she has a great blog, and that is the subject of our discussion today. We'll get to that in a second. Just want to quickly point out, Greg is here in spirit today. He's on the road. He is with Scott and Gregory Mortland, who are in Winnipeg from San Diego. They adopted the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as their new favorite team after the Chargers fled San Diego for Los Angeles in the NFL. So 
We're showing them a good time. Greg is their host today. Uh, from I think he had a three-hour window, so he's, I believe he has one more hour with them. So eventually, we'll hear from Greg at some point. In the meantime, Carolyn, you have a, your latest blog post is entitled "Word Inspiration." So, my first question to you is: What is word inspiration? Well. You know, sometimes I wonder, like, what should I write about or what do I feel like writing about on the blog? And one of the I was realizing um, a little while ago when I was sitting on my sun porch um, that a lot of people hang pictures on their walls. And I realized what I do is I hang words on my walls. And um, so it, it just had me be mindful of how. Um, I think people pick things that they find are beautiful or that are inspiring and they put them on the walls of their house. Uh, And I realized that I generally find words that are beautiful and inspiring and that's what I like to have around. And I think, you know, I'm a a professional talker slash listener for a living, right? So my business is words. Um, I probably love listening more than I love talking as an introvert, but I love the idea of what can be discovered when words become sentences and sentences become stories. And so the idea of words on walls, they're just inspiring. And I sort of just went around my house taking pictures and I realized I couldn't put, the blog was going to be way too long if I put them all up. So I picked some of my favorites and I put them up and sort of did some thinking about when did I get this and why did I pick this and what good is it to have on my walls? And it was was just kind of a fun exercise for me to write about and uh, people have been fun reading. So just in case you're wondering, what does she mean by putting words on the wall? So we're talking about whether it's a single word or whether it's a a message, for example. There's one here that you have posted that right at your front entrance. Welcome to our happy, crazy, fun home. Where is that sitting? It's on so a bookshelf that's, of some that's sort. literally on the bookshelf um, as you come into the front entrance. And I, I laughed when I saw that um, this week because uh, our family, we have family dinner every week where all the marrieds come home with their spouses and we kind of have this crazy, fun, chaotic time. Um, and we realized on the weekend, husband and I, that um, we had been so busy around Easter and we were waiting until everybody gathered and people were coming and going. We never all collected and we never had our Easter egg hunt at Christmas, at Easter, sorry. And so we were realizing that we had this laundry basket full of chocolate bunnies and eggs. And so we thought, why not? So this week, um, after dinner, we kicked everybody out into the backyard and we hung, we, we hid Easter eggs and Easter bunnies all over the house. And the kids were really funny where we brought them to the table to sort of show them. And they're like, no, we don't want to see them. When you hunt for Easter eggs, you can't see them ahead of time. Don't show us. And then I handed out grocery bags for everybody to um, put their Easter eggs that they would find. And the kids were like, what? We don't get Easter baskets? Like it got to be, it, it was sort of crazy kind of fun. And the kids completely got into the spirit because who doesn't like chocolate any time of year? And so welcome to our crazy, happy, crazy, fun home. It just feels like we want to do things that are fun and that are kind of crazy because an Easter egg hunt in July is something that we'll always kind of remember fondly. And it was, it's been something kind of goofy to talk about um, when we meet people in the streets this week as just things of uh, ways to live our lives fully awake and to show up and to um, engage with the world in kind of a quirky, humorous way, I think is something that I'd like to do. Reading the blog, you revealed that words used to annoy you. Why is that? (laughs) Well, because I'm a person, I'm a bit of perfectionist. Um, I like to get to do really well. And so when I was a kid in high school, I really liked math because there would be a question on the test. I would do the question and the way you can sort of go back and check. I knew I would have the right answer, right? Like math, you're just right or you're wrong. And I could work really hard to be right. When I went to English class, I would work really hard on an essay and the 
prof would say, well, that's pretty good, but you could have done this and this and this. And you kind of had this feeling of no matter how hard you worked, it wouldn't have been perfect because there is no perfect with words, right? Uh, and so for some of us, that can be kind of frustrating. And history, I would find annoying too, because I couldn't remember dates well, and it always seemed to be about wars and who killed who. Um, and I didn't develop a love for history until I would start talking to people um, as an occupational therapist. I graduated. That's my undergrad. I was working um, in occupational therapy. And a lot of what I would do is help people adjust to disability and learn how to maximize what they could do after they had some sort of disability, whether it had been in a car accident or they would have had a stroke or multiple sclerosis, something like that. And I realized that what I really loved as in that job is that people would tell me their stories of what it was like to adjust to their disability, or they would tell me the story of how they were struggling to deal with starting to use a wheelchair when, you know, all their lives they'd walked on two legs wherever they want to go, and all of a sudden they're in a wheelchair. And when you're in a wheelchair in Winnipeg, life is not easy um, with all the double doors and the curbs and the snowbanks and the cold. Um, and suddenly life is very different and it's a huge adjustment. And to listen to the stories of how people struggled with that and triumphed through it, those, that really that really lit my fire. That re I really came alive listening to people's stories. And I realized that when it wasn't about getting an A, that I really did love words. You also mentioned in the blog post sort of piggybacking on what you were just talking about with the wheelchair uh, information that stories of pain long to be heard were the words that you chose. Can you expand on, on that? Why do stories of pain long to be heard? Well, I think we all like to hear our, we all like to have our stories witnessed and um, we are recognizing even in this country when, when we've had the truth, the board of truth and reconciliation where people are coming forward and telling their stories that stories need to be witnessed because part of when they are witnessed, they become alive and they get honored and, and there's a validation that comes with having stories witnessed. And one of the challenge of painful stories is that painful stories are really hard for other people to hear. Often people, when they're listening to painful stories, they feel this compel compulsion to try to make the other person feel better really quickly or to fix the, the pain in the story. And so without realizing it, people's stories of pain, they get shortchanged and they get kind of short-circuited and they don't get heard all the way through because it's too hard to listen to those stories when you really care about that person. Uh, and I don't know, uh, you, Brett, you can tell me what it's like for you when you hear somebody that you really care about telling you something that's really painful to them. It's hard to sit there and listen and be empathic and let that story get told because you, what ends up happening is you keep hearing how they're hurting. And that's not easy for any of us to do. And yet what I notice is that when we're able to do that, that there's something about having that story be witnessed and validated that makes that person feel a little less in pain, not because you fixed anything, but because you've witnessed their story. What's you, your experience? Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking of an example right now. A friend of mine, uh, this is about five years ago, He, uh, I remember him telling me he, he had a whole bunch of things kind of pile up, and I, I, I think that's all I'll really say because I don't want to... You know, inadvertently identify him. Sure. He was going through a rough time. Appreciate and that, he yeah. had me over and he just started telling me about all these things that were piling up and he started crying. And and I it was uncomfortable because you don't want to see your somebody you care about cry, but I just let him go uh, because he needed to get it out. You bore witness. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that people often maybe try to to do the, oh, they're there kind of thing because 
it helps their own discomfort? Well, it, it, it doesn't it absolutely hurt to watch somebody you care about weep, right? To be really sad. I think, and, and then I think sometimes people wonder of, oh, if I'm listening to them and they start to cry, did I say something or do something to make them cry, which is even worse. So how can I make them stop crying? Because if they stop crying, then I will feel better because they are no longer crying. What I think people, it's hard for people to grasp sometimes is that when they're crying, what they're doing is the sadness that was there all along. It's finally being able to be expressed. And when it's expressed, there's something beautiful about that. It's not easy, but it is beautiful. And once it has been expressed, then it's no longer contained and held and no longer carries the weight of that hurt inside of themselves anymore. And so there often is a release that happens when that hurt is allowed to be expressed. And it sounds, Brett, that you were able to see this guy just needs to get it out. I can sit here and I can listen to it and I can be a part of this. Um, and I don't have to fix it because often there really is nothing that you can do to fix it. But sometimes when people are, say, for example, feeling like they might want to hurt themselves and I say, what's your risk of hurting yourself? And they say maybe five out of 10. Well, that's high, but there's no imminent danger. So I'll just let them talk and I'll listen carefully and I'll play back what I think I'm hearing them say. And we'll just talk for a while. And then I'll say, and what's that number at now? And often it's dropped to two or three. And we haven't fixed anything, but we've had a chance to let some of that hurt bleed out. Uh, and so they're feeling a little less worse when they've had a chance to have their words and their stories witnessed. Sometimes, too, I, I think uh, it also just comes down to, I know how if I express, uh, sometimes I just want to vent. Sometimes I just want to curse at the world uh-huh. just for a moment just to get it out because I'm mad and and uh, I'm not looking for anyone to solve my problems I'm just expressing a frustration and let me be cranky for a minute but a lot of times people have this urge this need almost to oh my this this person I care about is in distress I must solve this problem for them and I get to the point where I say I don't need you to solve my problem <laughs> I just want to be mad leave me alone so I I don't want to be I don't want to be a hypocrite and turn around and, and try to immediately solve all of life's problems because this person is expressing some sort of, of discomfort, whatever the emotion may be. Well, and that's the sort of the weird and unusual thing is when you see somebody hurting, the temptation when you care for them is to want to help them. And so you want to give advice so that you can make it better. What often ends up happening is the person feels insulted because you who don't live their lives are suggesting after only hearing a little bit of what's going on that you know better than they about how to fix it. If it was that easy, people that are struggling, they're not stupid. They're just struggling, right? And so it's, it can't generally be solved by easy advice. And it, it feels disrespectful when people try to offer that advice. And I think it's profound. It's just caring to say, I'm going to be in this difficult space with you. I'm going to sit with you in it for this time that we're together. And I'm going to honor your pain by caring for you. And that 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 sort of holding space is what has a person feel cared for rather than that quick advice. Carolyn Clausen is our guest. She is a therapist with Conexus Counseling. The website is conexuscounseling.ca where you can read her latest blog post. It is called Word Inspiration, and we will continue to have our conversation about the words that inspire Carolyn after we look at your forecast, which is coming up next. Brett McGarry in studio. Greg Mackling is on the road with the Mortlands from San Diego. They're here to see the Bomber game tonight. He is showing them around the city. I think they have made their way to Journey to Churchill at the Assiniboine Park Zoo right now. So we'll hopefully hear from Greg at some point next hour. Carolyn Clausen is here.
therapist with Conexus Counseling. Her latest blog post is called Word Inspiration at ConnexusCounseling.ca. Now, we referenced how you once upon a time kind of hated words but preferred equations. You know, when you were in high mm-hmm. school, you liked yep. math um, because words were subjective and math was you're right or you're wrong. What did you foresee yourself doing for a career when you were into the math and the chemistry? Well, I I always wanted to be an occupational therapist. I like people, uh, and I wanted to do something that cared about people, and occupational therapy was an opportunity for me to work with people with disabilities and help them to be able to figure out how to live their lives better with um, being able to do the things they need to be able to do. So I thought I might be working with burns or with quadriplegics. I ended up working with people uh, with stroke rehab. Um, where I would help them figure out how to learn to get dressed or learn to feed themselves, learn to drive a power chair. Um, and I really liked that sort of work. But what I found I really liked about it, and this was sort of surprising, was I liked the ordering of the wheelchair and the measuring and making splints and things like that. But what I really loved was the conversation that happened around the doing of whatever we were doing. And so then when I, I took a few counseling courses, because I thought, oh, it would probably be a good idea if I would figure out how to knowledgeably talk to people in more effective ways around some of the really serious losses that they were experiencing in their lives. I, I just, it kind of hijacked me and I ended up going in completely in the talk direction. You write about uh, a book that you were heavily influenced by, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. What's that book about? Well, it's, it's a book about story, and um, Donald Miller, he wrote a book called, called Blue Like Jazz, and there were some screenwriters that picked it up and said, we think this would make a really good movie, um, but we need to make it into a screenplay. And so then they were talking about how do we make this story, this book, which isn't so much about story, it's more about ways of thinking, into a, into a screenplay. And so it's making a story of Donald's life. And so he started asking himself, what is story? What kind of life am I living? What kind of story am I living? Am I living the kind of story that I would like to? And so he developed a whole curriculum um, around story and um, uh, what helping people develop what kind of story they would like to write. And so I went to that conference uh, and um, the bag that had the schwag in it, I've turned into a pillow, it's on my bed now, and that um, bag turned pillow says, change the world around you by living a better story. And uh, I love... The, the, what you're talking about, the Mortlands being walking from San Diego, picking the bombers as their team and coming up here and seeing the polar bears. And like, isn't that a fabulous story? Right. And so many of us, we tend to watch love stories, but we watch stories on Netflix rather than living this story. And I just love the idea of when I put make my bed in the morning and I put that pillow on the bed, I have a chance to challenge myself. What story am I going to live today and how do I live a better story? Um, by being mindful of the story I'm living than by just living the one by default, which might mean that I'd end up on the couch um, watching TV, or I could go out and do something that would make for a really good story. As one of the couch potatoes here on 680 CJOP, <laughs> I confess that I think I'm, I'm very likely guilty of what you just described. Says the golf guy, though, too. <laughs> well, I do like to get, that's my one outdoor activity other than walking to work. Otherwise, I'm at, I'm at home watching TV, although I've been reading a book this week. So okay. It's the first time in a few years <laughs> I've been reading that I've actually stopped watching TV. And is that a good change? Yeah, yeah, and oddly enough, uh, that's sort of that you've inadvertently or luckily sort of segued into. Uh, the, like, I'm not a huge 
like you know, I, these are, a lot of these things that you've put up around your house uh, kind of fall into the the inspirational quote mm-hmm. category, and and that's not never really been my thing. But there are three words that I've used at certain points in my life and continue to use if I feel myself kind of whatever. I need a, a bit of a motivation, and those words simply are change your life. Mm. Whether it was when I was trying to quit smoking. Or if I want to lose weight, or you know, and I, and I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat this whole bag of potato chips. No, change your life, McGarry. Okay. Um, so how do you do? You have of all of the words in your home, do is is one of them like your motto, or do you have a motto? Um, a motto. One of the mottos I say to myself is that I can't say no because of fear. Um, I love the idea of engaging in the world from a place of strength and love rather than from a place of fear. And I know that I'm probably not that unusual in that it's, I, I'm much more likely to feel the fear louder and, and uh, more intensely than I am to feel the fear, the love and the engagement. And so I challenge myself to dig underneath the fear when I'm invited to speak somewhere or to do something interesting um, to my initial impulse would be, I'm not sure if I could do that. I would think I probably should hang back and I probably need to wash my hair or watch Netflix that night. Um <laughs> Uh, and rather sort of and go like this could be really cool. It would be a chance to make some neat connections. Let's try it. And I'd, it doesn't have to be perfect. It can just be interesting. And even just trying is, it is its own success. And so I work really hard to remember that that love and engagement and connection. Um, the one the line that I always use here is that we are wired for connection. And I don't have that hanging up in my house, but I do have pictures of it in my office all over the place. And presentations that I do, we are wired for connection. And that probably would be the buzz line that I would operate by. And so then when I have a chance to engage in connection, I work to pick that over disconnection whenever I can. Carolyn Clausen is her name. She is a therapist with Conexus Counseling. You can read her full blog post called Word Inspiration at ConnexusCounseling.ca. She joins us every Thursday at 2.30 on 680 CJOB. 307 on 680 CJOB, Brett McGarry. Flying solo today. Greg Mackling is on the road. He is having a field trip today with the Mortlands, Scott and Gregory. They're in from San Diego. They're here to watch the Bomber game. And we will hopefully be hearing from Greg at some point this afternoon. He did provide a few suggestions, though, today for topics. And one of them was the Tri-Hospital Lottery, the dream lottery, and the grand prize draw was this morning. So to find out how that went and who won, we are joined by the CEO and president of HSC Foundation, Jonathan Lyon. His name, he joins us live on 680 CJOB. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, first of all, before we say who won... Can you maybe just give us a recap as to what was up for grabs in the grand prize draw? Hey, Brett, good to chat with you. Yeah, there. Uh, I tell you, our winner is going to have a very hard decision to make between the four grand prize options that are available in this year's Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery. That uh, there's a luxury Merrick home in uh, Bonavista development in the south end of the city with two Mercedes cars and a uh, pool and landscaping package. Or there's a Oxbow of Tuxedo Point condo uh, and an Okanagan Okanagan home, or a custom-built Merrick cottage with cars and toys, or they can forego all that and take 1.2 million dollars cash 
tax-free. Government can't get their grubby little hands on it, so that's a nice option too. And uh, yeah, so we're really pleased with the uh, Manitobans again stepped up to support health care and support the lottery, and we're pleased with how everything's gone so far. How much work goes into sort of amassing the prizes? I mean, all four of these prizes are just sensational. I'm on the website, tryhospitaldream.com, and looking at these prizes, and all four of them are just making me salivate. How much work goes into getting these prizes uh, to put into this contest? Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into uh, the lottery every year. You know, we're fortunate between our organizations. We've got... uh, great staff and dedicated volunteers who help us out with this and uh so there's certainly a lot of work but it's a great you know it's a it's a great opportunity for manitobans to give back to uh health in the province and support our three major hospitals and have a chance at some fantastic prizes so it's the uh inevitable win-win so we're pleased with it so who are the who is the grand prize winner for the Tri Hospital 2017 Dream Lottery? Well, it is uh, ticket number 27872 and I had a lovely conversation with uh, a woman named Christine Weens today from Steinbach, Manitoba and uh, you know, it's a lot of days sometimes you wake up and you think am I going to make anyone happy today and I guarantee you I made uh, Miss Weens happy today when I was, when I called her to let her know she was our grand prize winner and what her options were. So it was a, it was a wonderful conversation with her and we're very happy for her. Did you get any sort of inclination as to what she might be leaning towards? No, you know, typically, and I've, uh, you know, when you, when you call, I've, I've had the good fortune of phoning some people in the past on lottery. I've been doing this a few years now and, uh, literally, you know, most people it's, it's, uh, I mean, I was on the phone, but you could almost feel them trembling on the other side of the line, uh, other end of the phone line so uh, i think it's more a shock it is truly a shock for people when they first get a call from someone like me saying you've won you know a prize package up to 1.5 million dollars or 1.2 million dollars cash so you know it's a call any one of us would certainly enjoy and and she was just very elated with this uh with the phone call i was pleased to give to her today and what's the uh the 50 50 plus what was that yeah, Manitobans love a 50-50. Just go to any of our sporting events, whether it's youth hockey or sports and uh, or a major uh, pro, foot, pro football hockey or baseball game. And uh, our 50-50 this year um, amassed $902,505. Yeah, it's a nice, nice check. And um, we pulled the ticket on that, and uh, the uh, ticket number was 401877 for those at home who are looking at the tickets. And uh, a woman named Gladys Demission from Winnipeg uh, will receive a check from the uh, lottery for $451,252.50. So as far as, I mean, there there is a grand prize, uh, a series of grand prizes to pick from. There's the 50-50 plus, but there are a whole bunch of other prizes. So how is that going to be rolled out? Uh, when can people find out if they've won any, anything? Yeah, so there's a total of uh, just over 3,300, I think, 3,303 uh, 3, prizes. And a full listing of the winners will be posted at the uh, website, tryhospitaldream.com, by Monday, July 31st. And... Uh, in addition, we will publish uh, the full list of winners in the Winnipeg Free Press on Monday, August the 14th. 
And uh, I'm looking, just looking at the website here. I see something called Big Apple Plus uh, with 31 winners. I, I know that we don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, do you know anything about that? Yeah, that's all part and parcel of the uh, package. Or, or uh, buying a lottery ticket then gives you access to the 50-50 and the uh, uh, and the Big Ticket Plus, and and we will be awarding uh, uh, prize packages. Uh, in the month of August for, uh, for that, for uh, winners to have a chance at some, uh, vacation prizes and, uh, cash options as well as that. So the winning will just continue. Yeah. It looks like a trip to, Ooh, trip to New York city for, uh, two adults, three nights or uh, $2,800 cash. So you can do that all throughout the month of August. Jonathan, before we let you go, uh, just, you sort of touched on it as well. Just to remind us uh, all the, I mean, we do these lotteries for great causes. So where is the money for the 2017 tri hospital dream lottery going to go? Well, Manitobans like to collaborate and we like to collaborate. So I'm with the HSC foundation and we, partnered with the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation and the Children's Hospital Foundation, which is uh, also at HSC, and we, uh, we uh, share the proceeds, and it goes towards uh, medical research, looking for you know, uh, new, uh, new opportunities on research and cures for uh, disease states or advances on disease states, or you know, state-of-the-art medical equipment to serve uh, Manitobans when they're in need. Listen, the three, our three hospitals account for the majority of, uh, you know, they're really the backbone of health care in our province. And, uh, you know, government of any political stripe can't cover it all. So uh, foundations serve a vital role, and lottery supporters really are uh, uh, very helpful in terms of helping us fulfill our mandate to provide the equipment and resources to the medical practitioners who we all rely on. Jonathan Lyon, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Jonathan is the CEO and president of HSC Foundation. Once again, the grand prize winner for the 2017 Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery. Ticket number 027872, belonging to Christine Weens from Steinbeck. Congratulations, Christine. And the 5050-plus winner, ticket number 401877, Gladys Demission from Winnipeg. And if you want details, on what the, the big grand prizes were. You can still see them at trihospitaldream.com and there's details as well on the other prizes up for grabs and the big Apple Plus. There will be 31 winners through the month of August and uh, all sorts of winning yet to be done. And the full searchable winners list, by the way, available tomorrow. Again, trihospitaldream.com. 3.15 on 680 CJOB. We have stuff to give away. We will get to that momentarily. First, we've got to check traffic and weather all up next. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling is, he's not off. He's off in the field with Scott and Gregory from San Diego. He has taken them to the zoo. He took them to VJ's earlier and a couple of more things that they were trying to cram into a three-hour window, and we will hopefully hear from him in the next half hour. In the meantime, we have stuff to give away. Just want to set the scene. This is what happened last year. When he says PBR, once again, not talking about Pabst Blue Ribbon. I'm reminded of a scene, actually. Kyle probably knows this. Blue Velvet. There's a scene in Blue Velvet 
where Dennis Hopper asks, um, oh, I can't remember the Kyle McLaughlin, I think is his name, the, the, the actor's name. What kind of beer? What kind of beer do you like? Then he says Heineken. Heineken? Blank that. Pabst Blue Ribbon! Anyway, PBR Canada is not Pabst Blue Ribbon. Professional bull riders coming back to Winnipeg Friday, October 6th at Bell MTS Place. Today's trivia question as it pertains to professional bull riding. Yesterday we asked you about the Manitoba Stampede. Today we will ask you about the Calgary Stampede. Similar question to yesterday. When did the Calgary Stampede start as a rodeo? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. When did the Calgary Stampede start as a rodeo? 204-780-6868. While Kyle Milroy is attending to those phone calls, if you're not calling in for that, I just want to quickly direct your attention as well to our website, cjob.com. There are other contests that you can sign up for. One of them is uh, Backyard barbecue i've got the details on that somewhere where did they go all right i had them they seem to have escaped me so just bear with me for a second i'm going to go to cjob.com it's a learning experience we'll do this on the fly cjob.com you're going to see a tab that's all in blue that with uh, then the last word you'll see is more. That's not the one you want. There's a second tab that's in white and the letters are black and you click on the more that is there. And then, or you don't click, you just hover over top of that and then you'll get a drop down menu. You click on contests. And in that contest page, you will see one called the Manitoba Pork Backyard Barbecue Contest. We had the Barbecue and Blues Festival on yesterday, so that got me thinking about barbecue. So if you go to cjob.com, you can sign up for this. If you think you're a self-proclaimed grill master, you can enter. All you got to do is take a quick video, two minutes max of you and your barbecue masterpiece, send it to us, and then you have a chance to win some fancy grill units from Lux Barbecue valued at $2,200, a fresh pork pack valued at $100, a winner apron and an invitation to compete in 2018 as returning champion. So you just got to go to cjob.com for that. In the meantime, we will have a quick look at your forecast and then sports with Clay Young up next. What kind of beer do you like? Heineken. Heineken. Paps Blue Ribbon. I just had was about to play that clip. How is that possible? Here, I'm going to do it anyway. What kind of beer do you like? Heineken. Heineken. That. That is a case of where we wanted to surprise each other. Kyle went and got found the clip himself, just as I found the clip myself, and we both ended up playing the same clip. Great minds, McGarry. Yeah. Or a broken clock. (laughs) It's funny. Uh, Why are we playing the clip from Blue Velvet? Well, thank you, Kyle. Good for you. We are playing it because we're talking about professional bull riders, Canada, PBR Canada, not Pabst Blue Ribbon, but professional bull riders, Canada coming back to Winnipeg uh, Friday, October 6th at Bell MTS Place. Today's trivia question was, when did the Calgary Stampede start as a rodeo? And the answer is 1912. The Calgary Stampede, billed as the greatest outdoor show on earth. The first exhibition took place in 1886. 
but the world-famous Stampede Rodeo began in 1912. So congratulations go out to John Bosco. We have one more set of tickets to hand out tomorrow, but in the meantime, congratulations to John Bosco. I've been flying solo today in the studio because Greg Mackling has been on the road. He is with uh, Mortland's Scott and Gregory in Winnipeg from San Diego to see the Winnipeg Blue Bombers tonight. They adopted the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as their new team because the San Diego Chargers are now the Los Angeles Chargers. So they needed a new team. They found a team with similar colors, and the Bombers have often had the lightning bolt on their uniform, much like the Chargers. And I believe Gregory is... Well, Gregory Mackling is here. Is he there, Kyle? Greg, are you there? I don't know where he is. Well, I guess that's it for the first part of our first date. Thanks, Scott. This was really fantastic to get to know you and Thank Gregory. You. Well, we Thank, thanks so much for uh, allowing us to be such a big part of an entire day here. Yeah. You guys are like celebrities here, people. We were, like ju- we were just sitting here. Somebody pulled up, rolled down the window. Hey, Greg, been listening right. all day. Hello, and the guy Enjoy the game. Right before we went to the museum, I remember the guy pulled over as a city worker, I think he was, and just pulled ah. down his window and welcomed us to Winnipeg. So it was awesome. Well, we've just been uh, so thrilled to welcome you to the city. Could you imagine this? Like, I mean, I, I know you put up a, a Facebook post or something, and, and, you know, it goes hog wild. It has gone hog wild, no doubt. And I, um, I'm very touched by it. Everybody that I've come across has been so great at the media places, um, even yesterday, that the people with the Blue Bombers, Alan from the team store to Michelle, who's Wade's assistant, everyone, the players. I mean, my gosh, if you go to my Facebook post of, of yesterday, you know, I thought we would meet a couple of players that they might have asked to come over, but no, they came over in mass and literally shook our hands individually. It was, it was unreal. You just don't see that back home. Canadian Museum for Human Rights. We went up that in the tower. Great. You got that to see awesome. unique bird's eye view of Winnipeg. That yes. was all right. I loved it. Of course, I obviously noted Shaw Park, <laughs> which is a baseball venue that you guys have that I've heard great things about and hope to go visit during the Canada Summer Games. And, uh, I, the Forks got to see that and uh, some of the other beautiful architecture that's here, you know, which I wasn't really prepared to see. And I love that. I love we, architecture. Now we went to the zoo. Gregory yeah. loved the the polar bears. Yeah. And we saw the otters swimming around there. The seals, I guess, are not otters. Yeah, I'm, the seals. I'm still learning. That's okay. Uh, you have like the best zoo in the world. We, yeah. we do okay? You do okay. Um, it, what's nice is it's spacious. I will say that the San Diego Zoo, there's nothing like it. I mean, we are the world famous San Diego Zoo, but it's hilly. So for anyone that's got any, you know, really health issues, it's a very tough place to go visit for the day. I, I'm down. I'm celebrating the fact that yours is flat, you know. <laughs> and so we just get to roam around at you know even even pace and uh, look forward to going back there tomorrow. What I promise, as I promised Gregory. So today was a nice teaser for him. Okay. So I asked you. I said uh, when we were talking earlier about in San Diego when you get on the elevator what's the icebreaker here it's always the weather but right. it's like this like right. 10 months of the year in san diego what's the icebreaker in san diego well nowadays it's about uh, what do you think about those chargers you know because you've got a very divided population on that and i would say it's not even it's about 70 30 um disappointment hurt anger i mean it's whatever the range is you know um and that is a big topic especially now as we're getting to training camp in the nfl uh-huh. even more so it's going to be a very hot topic, especially when they... I mean, it's really funny. I went to a uh, sporting goods store about two months ago and saw, with my own eyes, in San Diego County for the first time, an L.A. Chargers piece oh of gear. Went to the front of the... It was Dick's Sporting Goods, a national chain. I said, take it off the shelf or I'm not coming back. I was joking. Uh, I mean, you know, if 
I need something. Oh. I need something. But I was sort of serious. I just, I can't take oh. it. <laughs> Scott, we're going to let you and Gregory go get a rest. I'll see you at the football game tonight, okay? You Thanks, you brother. It. Go Bombers. Go Bombers indeed. Greg Mackling playing tour guide today for Scott and Gregory. And he joins us now on 680 CJOB. And uh, Greg, uh, how was your day? It was incredible, Brett. Thanks for holding down the fort back at the station and doing the hosting duties and allowing me to meet this incredible family. Scott is so, as you can tell, so articulate, such a smart guy. We connected right away. And even though Gregory doesn't talk, We've uh, connected on a really special level, and uh, they have fallen in love with our city. We've gone a bunch of different places, as you heard in that last little piece of conversation between Scott and myself, and he's been recognized, and people have been, you know, walking at the zoo. They've got their bomber jerseys on. It's Go Bombers. They're getting a real flavor uh, for the sense of community in our community. So for all the listeners out there that have been following our progress today and that have said hi and that have come to say hi to Scott and Gregory uh, on their behalf. I want to say thank you. And, and thank you for uh, just highlighting what a, what a great town we are. All right, Greg, thank you so much uh, for playing the tour guide, for showing them what a cool place Winnipeg can be. You know, do you, do you want to, yesterday you played the devil's advocate and said, did we make too big a deal out of this? So uh, I'll ask you, did we make too big a deal out of all this? No, not in any way. You know, I was in the hospitality industry for a long time. I'll give a shout out to a place that I owe a lot to in my life, and that's Earl's Restaurant. And uh, we always had the philosophy that you build a business one customer at a time. And uh, I think that we have to do that on the tourism front as well. And if we have to, uh, you know, show people around when they come to the city, I know we can't do it with everyone. But Scott's already told me he's thinking about coming back and bringing a bigger part of his family with him next time he comes. So he's he's had a lot of signs along the way that says, yeah, I think uh, we'll be coming back and I'm bring my wife and maybe some of my other kids with me as well. So uh, great job, Winnipeg. All right. Greg Mackling, thank you so much, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, and you're going to be part of the Bomber broadcast tonight as well, holding down the fort at halftime, yeah? Yeah, pregame show and then uh, working sidelines tonight and the halftime show. It's uh, it's a busy day, but I love every second of it. Thanks, brother. All right, Greg Mackling. Joining us from somewhere in Winnipeg. Uh, he taking the Mortlands out, Scott and Gregory, so that's pretty cool. We're going to pause. Traffic and weather are coming up, and then we'll hear from Richard Cluche to find out what is coming up on the news, which is an abbreviated edition of the news today because the pregame show starts at 5.30. So Rich will join us after we look at traffic and weather next. Richard Cloutier is in the studio. He's got popsicles. popsicles. Yeah. Okay, which color? You uh, pick. Oops, I took them both. There you go. <laughs> is that okay? I took the purple one. Yeah, that's great. This is, uh, what's the light blue flavor? I don't know. I've always wondered what the actual flavor is. <laughs> Oh, it's everywhere now. He just ripped it open with his teeth. Sometimes, oh, sometimes. that's the best way to you, the best way to do it. Where did you get these? Um, Di came in with a whole bag of them. She said they're from the other side, wherever oh, that means. Come on a, in, come on in, Di. They, oh. She's got more. Look at this. Look at <laughs> this. He's got bag. a gigantic. Wow. Yeah, some more. Okay. Just okay. making friends. Okay. Uh, you Thanks, know what? I'm going to take a blue one too. Okay. <laughs> these ones are good. Thanks, Di. So, yeah. I wonder what the blue flavor is. It's probably like antifreeze. Kind of like antifreeze. Yeah, it's it's all good for you though. Yeah. On a hot day like today, 
yeah. perfect for you. What's coming up in the news? Uh, lots going on today before the Bomber game at 5.30 with the pregame show with uh, Bob and Doug. And, uh, of course, the Krull investigation, top of the news, and some major developments today. You can see the sketch of the person that Winnipeg police believe is the suspect at CJOB.com. The production and distribution of marijuana... Heather Stephenson, the justice minister, weighs in on this and says, well, we're putting out this request for proposals. And right away, the Manitoba Government Employees Union jumps on this, saying that it's going to be privatization of marijuana right away as far as distribution is concerned. Stephenson is saying, we haven't made any final decisions yet, but should you be able to get your marijuana at a store kind of like the Manitoba Liquor Control Commission, or should it be right open to private distribution. It'll be regulated, but um, that's what the provincial government has put out today. And they want to hear back from Manitobans and uh, distributors and producers from across the country. <laughs> we know. got a great text uh, message uh, with a, a response on what the blue popsicles are. Okay. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. The blue ones are 2,000 flushes. <laughs> oh no! Oh come on, babe! Come on! That's a um, good... <laughs> yeah. That lots of information, and there's a very interesting um, report out of England today that you know when you're prescribed medication, that you're under the assumption that even though you're feeling better, you should take it all. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a report out today saying that may not necessarily be the case. Oh, that maybe once you feel better, you should stop those meds. We'll dig deeper on that story with one of our house doctors after the 4.30 news. Richard Cloutier, host of the news. It's on from 4 until 7, usually today until 5.30 because of the Blue Bomber pregame show and then kickoff at 7.30 at Investors Group Field. Bombers hosting the Montreal Alouettes. And just want to give you a reminder that we will be at Santa Lucia tomorrow. Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's Road. Mackling and McGarry, Friday afternoon, Patio Palooza continues and you have an opportunity to win yourself a $100 tab for Santa Lucia pizza. All you got to do is go to cjob.com, find the contest page. One lucky listener will win a table for four with a $100 tab at Santa Lucia pizza, St. Mary's to join me and Greg for the Friday afternoon patio palooza. And we're going to be broadcasting each Friday afternoon in July and August from 1 to 4 p.m. on the rooftop patio. All you got to do is go to cjob.com to enter to win. Great job to Greg Mackling playing tour guide today for the Mortlands in from San Diego to see the Bombers. Kyle Milroy, I never get to work with Kyle in this capacity. He's behind the board. Beat me to the punch on the blue velvet clip. That was uh, that was funny how we both did the same, the exact same thing pretty much. I just, he was more, uh, he used a different beep sound. So that's all that was really different there. And uh, thanks thanks to you for listening to McGarry on 680 CJOB.